Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. But a very warm welcome um, to Revelation Church. My name's Rich. Um, it's great to have you with us. Um, it's great to be here. And it's great to be able to open God's word um, and just explore the wonder and the truth of who he is um, and let his word feed us. Um, We've been working through a series around um, the I am statements, uh, most of them found in uh, John's gospel, Um, but essentially it harks right back um, to Exodus. We'll uh, look at that passage in just a second. Um, But throughout this series, every week we get exposed to a new facet of God's character, a new aspect of his nature. And it's just such a wonderful picture that it kind of builds week on week as we build this incredible picture um, of who Jesus is, of who God is. Um, And in uh, 1 Kings 8, Solomon said, he said, there is no God like you in heaven on above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant, showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. And there is no one like our God. There is no one like God. And as soon as we get to the point where we go, oh yeah, I think I've clocked it now. I think I've worked it all out. We look at another facet of his character and we go, I I just don't get it. It kind of undoes everything we thought we knew about God. He's so different to us. He's so distinct from us. And that's part of the reason that, that Jesus uses these statements to reveal different facets of who he is um, throughout his time on earth. And today, um, we're going to be looking uh, in John 10, where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. But I'm going to pray, um, and then we're going to launch in. Lord Jesus, we just pray, Lord, that you would come. And Lord, I pray you would equip me uh, this morning to handle your word, uh, Lord, with, with, with um, Lord, just humility and, and, Lord, the grace that comes from you. And that, Lord, as we look at your truth contained in these verses and elsewhere, that, Lord God, you would speak to us. That, Jesus, you would transform our hearts uh, as we listen and meditate on your truth. Lord, I pray you would give us ears to hear all that you have to say to us. Lord, I pray you would give us hearts that are receptive, that are supple, that are soft, that are moldable, um, Lord, according to to your plans and your purposes, and that, Jesus, your will would be done this morning. Amen. Amen. And so we see these phrases throughout um, Scripture, particularly in John's Gospel, where Jesus says, I am, and then dot, 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 something. And essentially, this harks back to, if you like, right back in Exodus, Exodus 3, um, verse 14, where God appears to Moses in a burning bush, And he commands him to go back to Egypt um, and to lead God's people, the Israelites, out of slavery to the Egyptians and into freedom. And in the midst of it, Moses is kind of wrestling with this idea. And he's like, I don't even know if I'm I'm, I'm slow of speech. I I haven't got the tools that I need to be able to do it. And anyway, even if I go, they're not going to believe me. Who am I going to say has sent me to? And God then thunders and just says, I am who I am. God doesn't make mistakes. God says, I am who I am. He says, go to the people and say, I am has sent me to you. And if you read it in in, in Exodus 3, it's in capital letters, this I am. It's the holy name of God. Steph, Steph looked at it right at the beginning of this series, this unutterable name of God, that, that he is who he is, and he will be 
who he will be. And then Jesus uses this same phrasing, I am, and then these statements. And it's a way of declaring his own deity. It's a way of declaring and revealing who he is to the people that are gathered around him, that are listening to him, those in his presence. Um, he says, I am. And in this case, uh, he says today in John 10, I am the good shepherd. And uh, we're going to um, just have a quick look uh, at our few verses. So we're going to jump in um, at John 10, uh, and we're going to read from verses 11 uh, through to 15. They should come up on the screen uh, behind me. Um, and Jesus said, uh, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And now, Jesus uses this picture of being a shepherd, the good shepherd. It's not a new idea. Um, in fact, actually throughout um, Scripture, even up until this point, we've seen um, even God being referred to as a shepherd. So Jacob in, in Genesis 48, um, just as he's about to die, um, he, he, he basically says, God, you've been my shepherd all my days. And then we read in, uh, in Psalms, uh, so very famous Psalm, Psalm 23, right at the beginning um, of Psalm 23, David writes, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This idea of shepherd is a very intimate um, description. It's a very involved, it's a very invested relationship. God as our shepherd. And Jesus says, not just I am a shepherd, but I am the good shepherd. That he is good. That he is perfect. And um, just to... Set a bit of context then to our actual passage, our actual verses today. In, in chapter 9 uh, of John's gospel, we've just seen that Jesus has healed a man um, who had been born blind. So he'd been born blind, um, and Jesus uh, spits the ground, rubs mud, and then spreads it on his eyes, and the guy can see. Um, and the guy uh, gets completely healed. And this happened on the Sabbath day. Now, the Sabbath day within the Jewish week was a day that was set aside for God. So there was no work that was done on the Sabbath day. Um, it, was, it was to be devoted and given over to the Lord. It was a day of rest. It was set aside um, for God. And then this man who's just been able to see, whose who's blind eyes have been opened, he then goes and he starts to tell the religious authorities, the Pharisees, those that were um, in seats of power um, within the Jewish community, and he begins to recount what's happened to him. And, and, and the Pharisees, who are these religious leaders, um, they're, they're a very strict group of people. And... Uh, they're so strict that they would keep the law and then they would create other laws around the law just so that they didn't break those laws, right? 
This, this is the, the, the Pharisees, the people that we're dealing with. So they would keep the law um, as written down by Moses, um, and they would keep the law, and they'd be incredibly strict. And then what they'd do is they would then create, if you like, this whole system or structure or framework around the law so that they wouldn't even get close to breaking one of the laws. And throughout the whole process, what we see is actually they begin to put their trust in those structures and systems and those additional laws that they've put in place. And so where God's law was given to God's people for how to live in right relationship with them, how, how to commune with them, how to engage in matters of um, sacri sacrifice, service, how the people of God were intended to be structured. Essentially what's happened uh, by the time we get to Jesus' day is essentially the Pharisees have kind of taken a step away from that. And actually it's not about the relationship at all. It's all about keeping this system and structures that they've instituted and put in place. And the heart's gone. The heart of it's gone. And actually, Jesus reserves some very strong words um, for, the Pharisee, for the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, if you read that chapter, um, I mean, Jesus just goes in on the Pharisees. And, and essentially, every time, he nails them for being hypocrites, that... that that they say the right things and they do the right stuff, but their heart fundamentally is broken. Their heart fundamentally is rotten. Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. He says on the outside, it's very impressive, but on the inside, it's just rotting. It's decay and it's dying. And so Jesus heals this man in chapter 9. And the Pharisees, what we see from the Pharisees as a response is they're, they're less concerned with the healing. They don't really celebrate the fact that this miracle has just happened. God has intervened and opened this guy's eyes. And they're more concerned with the fact that Jesus hasn't kept the Sabbath. And then when, and so when they're confronted with Jesus in their very presence, who's just opened this, this, this guy's blind eyes, they themselves are spiritually blind to the reality of what God's doing. And they're more concerned with their law-keeping and their rules than they are with the presence of power of God breaking in. And so then we launch into um, John chapter 10. Um, and so essentially, Jesus now has left, and there's a gathering of people. Some people have gathered around and gone with him, um, and amongst them, some of the Pharisees, potentially, um, I think probably, to police Jesus, <laughs> to start you know, following him, listening to what he's saying, so that they can maybe levy accusations against him. They've already said in, in, in verse 22 in John chapter 9, they, they said, if anybody proclaims Jesus as Christ, then we'll cast them out of the synagogue. They've been threatened, their position of power has been threatened, and their reaction is, is just to cast them out, be done with them. And so this group of uh, people now, um, at the beginning of John 10, are now, get, uh, are now journeying um, with Jesus, amongst them um, Pharisees. And now we're gonna, we, we, we've jumped in kind of a few verses later. So at the beginning of John 10, Jesus said, I am the door, I am the gate to the sheep. Um, Steph looked at that a few weeks ago, um, and then even within this same chapter, we gave a second I am. It's just, Jesus is just revelation after revelation after revelation. Um, and then in John chapter 11, he says, I am the good sheep, I am the good shepherd. 
And um, this idea of Jesus being the good shepherd is picked up right at the beginning in verse 11. Um, but then he reiterates it. He states it again um, in verse 14. And now, in this country, we don't really have shepherds. It's a bit of an alien concept to us. Um, I, 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 <laughs> some of you might laugh at this. I grew up on a farm. Um, I'm not particularly into animals. Um, if you ask my family, I don't want to get a pet, ever. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I grew up on a farm, um, and we didn't have shepherds. We had farmers. The way, the way we look after livestock now is so, is so kind of clinical. There's so many boundaries and things put in place to basically uh, steward what has become essentially an asset. Um, and and what, what's happened is essentially we've lost the art of shepherding, uh, if you like. Um, and so we end, you might have a farmer that tends to the sheep. He might um, shear them once a year. He might provide food for them. He might mend a fence. Um, but what we read about shepherds, particularly um, out of this passage, as we'll see, but elsewhere in Scripture, um, is shepherds was a very involved process. It wasn't just, well, I'll stick them in a field, we'll stick a fence around them, and I'll come back and check tomorrow. That wasn't it at all. Shepherds were those that, that, that essentially lived with the sheep. There were no fences. There were no boundaries. The shepherd would be out um, with them and would, and, would, and would watch, take them out to graze, and they would just go wherever the grass was, wherever there was food, wherever... Um, they went, they went. The sheep would just gather together as a flock and just move. Um, and the shepherd would be with them in and amongst them and just journeying with them to ensure that they were cared for and looked after. Um, and often if sheep then began to stray from the flock, then the sh it was the shepherd's role to, to go and get them and bring them back um, into the flock. Uh, and so the shepherd would have been very... Um, in and amongst, they would often be traveling um, potentially days at a time with the sheep as they were out grazing. And so it was a very kind of involved process. The shepherds would also protect the sheep. They were also there to keep them safe. Um, particularly in, uh, if we, uh, in 1 Samuel um, chapter 17, uh, we get an account of David who's just about to face Goliath uh, this massive mountain of a man. And he comes before King Saul. And King Saul kind of looks at him and says, to be honest, you're pretty measly compared to this guy. He's an absolute beast, and you're just a kid. And then David's response is, um, I used to keep sheep, and when a lion or bear came to get the sheep, I'd kill it and save the lamb. I'd deliver it out of its mouth. And so, so, so as a shepherd, even as a shepherd boy, David would have to wrestle with some pretty big dangers. He'd have to put his life at risk wrestling with lions, with bears, with other um, wild beasts that would come to eat the sheep. And, and David's saying, you know, I, even in those moments, I'd kill those wild, wild animals so that I could save the sheep. That's a picture of a shepherd. You see, shepherding isn't like farming today. <laughs> I don't remember the last time I read about a farmer killing a lion because it was coming to eat the sheep. You know, it's a very involved process. There's a lot of, um, 
They protect them from predators, from vulnerability. Um, and then even in verse 14 um, of our passage uh, today, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. You see, it speaks of this intimacy, this wonderful intimacy of a shepherd, a good shepherd that knows his sheep. A shepherd that, 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 as they're out with the sheep, knows the wanderers, knows the ones that will stray, knows the ones that will are, have the potential to get distracted um, and then disappear off down a ravine or something, and they've got to go and get, oh, it's you again. Uh, and they've got to go get them and bring them back um, to the flock. And so shepherds would live amongst the flock. They'd know the flock. They'd care for the flock. And they would fiercely defend the flock from any predators or dangers that came along, and sometimes even at the expense of their own life. And this picture that Jesus uses, I am the good shepherd, is exactly what Jesus does for us. He is the good shepherd, that he cares for us, that he has given himself for us, that actually he pursues us even at the risk of his own life. He died on the cross so that we could be brought into this flock, so that we could be the sheep of his pasture, it says in Psalm 100. And then in, in between our, those two verses, verse 11 um, and verse 14, we have this little sandwich of a couple of verses where Jesus just begins to contrast this idea of a good shepherd, the good shepherd with the hired hand. Let me just read uh, verses 12 and 13 again. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And here Jesus begins to draw out this contrast between a shepherd and a hired hand. A hired hand, somebody that's just employed to look after the sheep. Somebody that's looking just to fulfill a role um, of shepherd in that moment that's taking care on behalf of somebody else. And we see that they're, they're, they're hired, that they receive wages for their um, work, that that's what they do that actually it's a transactional thing, that a hired hand is only really in it for their own gain, that they're going to get paid at the end of it. You see, they're an employee, they're not an owner. They're not invested in the sheep in the same way that a shepherd would be. They're not invested relationally. They don't know, um, if we want to use the analogy of sheep, we don't know the sheep's quirks. And in the same way, the hired hand, when they see and they spot the danger, they care nothing for the sheep. That's what it says. They're not willing to risk themselves for the sake of the sheep, and so they flee. They run. They just get out of there. And, a and this hired hand that Jesus is talking about is the Pharisees. This, this hired hand is talking about the Pharisees, those that love the this, this status of shepherd, 
those that, that, that love to be thought of and well-respected. In fact, in, 20, in Matthew 23, um, verse 8, G- Jesus says, you, you far- scribes and Pharisees, you love to be known in the marketplace. You love to be thought well of. You love to be called rabbi. But Jesus says there's only one teacher. There's only one true rabbi. And so in the midst, in the midst of this, the Pharisees that, 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 that loved the status, they, they would often be removed from the people. There wasn't necessarily that relational connection with the everyday man or woman. They would be removed um, from them. If they, if they had been involved, if they had uh, been caring for this blind man in chapter 9, then surely they would have celebrated when they learned that their friend has now can, can now see because God's healed them. There would have been a relational investment there. And so Jesus paints this picture um, that they don't care for the people. A hide hand doesn't care for the sheep. The Pharisees don't care for the people. They're just there to do a role. They're there to fulfill a job. And then the Pharisees are then threatened by anyone that comes in. Anyone that comes in to threaten their position or their status, uh, which is why they see, they, they see anyone that proclaimed Jesus to be Christ as being cast out um, from the synagogue. I wonder if I wonder if there are times perhaps in our own life when when we when we come into contact with Jesus and we hear his voice and and, and, and we know what he's calling us to do. But through but through in, in some way, shape or form, we want to hold on to some level of um, control or position. And within that, there's that tension between what God has spoken, what God has said, and then in our heart of hearts, what we want to do. Because that's where it gets real. Are we prepared in those moments to submit ourselves to God rather than perpetuating something and putting it off so that we can cling to some, some sense of control in a situation? And lastly, the Pharisees were meant to guard and protect the people. They were meant to guard them with, self, with love and self-sacrifice. But what Jesus says here is the hired hand, the Pharisees, at the first sign of trouble, they run. At the first sign of danger, they look out for their own skin and they leg it. You see, the Pharisees were looking out for number one. They were self-centered. They didn't care for the people. You see, their, only, um, their own self-importance blinded them to loving and serving people sacrificially. And then ultimately, the fear of what that danger or the severity of a situation might do, they would run away instead of running towards as protectors, instead of moving towards the sheep to guard, to keep them safe. And so what does the shepherd do? 
Well, the shepherd, who in this analogy is Jesus, he runs towards the sheep. The shepherd knows them intimately. And Jesus sees the danger and he moves towards his sheep. But we might think of this, well, okay, so if Jesus is the shepherd and the Pharisees are the hired servant, the hired men, and the hired hand, then we are the sheep. And to be honest, if we're sheep, then we just go along with the ride, right? We don't really get much of a say in what happens, which can make the sheep sound quite passive in a way. It does make the sheep sound quite passive. And we might be tempted to think, well, actually, we don't really get a say in this. Except every time the sheep follow someone. The sheep follow the good shepherd or the sheep follow a hired hand. And actually, the, when the Bible starts to talk about this, actually, it doesn't really leave us in a position where we're just kind of as sheep left on the fence wondering what we're going to do. The Bible says, actually, as sheep, we have to make a decision about who we will follow. We have to make a decision in that moment, will we trust the good shepherd or will we turn to a hired hand or maybe some other ideology or system of thinking or belief system or will we turn to something else? You see, the Bible says that um, in Isaiah 53, verse 6, this is hundreds of years before Jesus, still talking about sheep. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. You see, something within us, we are born with this condition in us to turn away from God, to do things in our own strength. We're not just aimless sheep that have accidentally got lost somewhere. Our hearts are inclined to independence. Our, our hearts are, are inclined to try and do things without God, to try and do them in our own strength, with selfish motives. And the Bible calls this sin. And the first step to following the good shepherd is to acknowledge that sin, to acknowledge that there is that within each of us, that where we have turned away, to our own selfish desires, that actually God is calling us back. And the first step in that is to acknowledge that and come back to him. And the Bible calls this repentance, to turn away from that, to put our trust in the good shepherd, to come and trust in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Because you see, here in John 10, Jesus tells us how he does that. He says, doesn't he, in verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And if you didn't, he then, if you didn't get it, he then says it later in verse 15. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You see that Jesus' death on the cross dealt with all of that sin, all of that turning away from God. And it brings us 
back into right relationship with him. That now we're not just individual sheep scattered out on a hilltop somewhere. But we are God's flock that have been gathered in. That he has purchased with his blood. He's dealt with that sin. That barrier that isolated and separated us from God. He's dealt with it and brought us back into relationship. That we can be his flock. That we can know forgiveness of sin. That we can move from being aimless to purposeful. That we can move from, 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 from just being hopeless to hopeful. That's what Jesus, the good shepherd, came to do. And in fact, if we read slightly more in that, in that passage in Isaiah 53, verse 4, it won't come up on the screen. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And when we might be tempted to think, well, we are just poor, helpless sheep. We can see we are anything but. That actually we turned away from God in our hearts. And now the the difficulty is, the challenge really for many of us in this room is, is as we then continue to walk with the Lord, as we continue on this journey with him, as we grow as Christians, as, as our faith grows, as we mature, will we stay true to the good shepherd? Because that's the challenge, isn't it? Because to use uh, this illustration, maybe we are tempted at times to stray and to wander. And maybe there is some distraction that tastes really good over here. And then before we know it, we're kind of isolated from the rest of the flock and we're in a vulnerable position. And at that point, the good shepherd has to come and bring us back into relationship, back into the flock. Or maybe perhaps you've put yourself in compromising situations, just vulnerable situations. And you, and, and, and you know what God is calling you to do. You know, you can hear the echo in your heart of what God has said what he's calling you to do and 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 the response is for us to turn to him and be drawn back into the flock as the good shepherd brings us back you see because you see this is where this is where it gets real because if at the start i were to say to you does anybody want to be a pharisee if you've read anything of the new testament I would hope none of you put your hands up because <laughs> they get a really bad rap, right? Like, as I mentioned, Matthew 23, Jesus just goes on and on and on um, about um, the Pharisees, essentially calling them hypocrites. But actually, when we start to stray, it's not as if we go from, from, from under 
the good shepherd to under our hired hand immediately. But what we do start to see is as we grow and as we mature, things start to drift. And then before we know it, we can get caught in something else. We can get caught up following a different belief system. We can get caught up following some unhelpful teaching or something like that. And, and what we've done is we've drifted on this path. And, and ultimately, what we're called to do is to come back to the authenticity of what the Good Shepherd is about. Are we willing to put ourselves under his care, to stay close, tucked in with him, that actually as we face situations and circumstances, we take instruction from the Good Shepherd rather than being distracted or drawn away into vulnerable positions, into dangerous positions. And it can happen in many different ways. And, and I would anticipate that even in this room, there are many of us that are feeling the tensions of life on a weekly, if not daily basis. And you're having to wrestle for things and you're having to make decisions that actually uh, have real spiritual significance. And the call on us is in those moments, are we willing to sit under the good shepherd's authority? There could, be, there, there, there could be a whole host of things. Maybe it's, maybe it's an unwillingness to repent of certain sin. Or maybe it's a, it, it's, it's a, it's a resolve that that's the way it's going to be. And actually, you're not trusting in the good shepherd to lead you into good pastures. Perhaps, as I mentioned previously, perhaps there's an element where you're struggling to hand over control. Where actually this, this, little, this, this little corner, actually you, you, you've got that all sewn up and you don't, need, you don't need God to help you there. You don't need Jesus to be involved. You've got that sorted. But actually the, the call for, for the flock, for his sheep, is to give over control of every area, to allow him into every aspect of our life. Perhaps you struggle with evasiveness. Because you see, as we, as we grow, we either grow more like the good shepherd or we grow more like these other things. And the hired hand, when they saw the danger coming, they fled, they ran a mile. And maybe that can, that, 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 that can be the temptation in our own hearts, that when we see something difficult, or we hit a relational tricky spot that we just want to remove ourselves from the situation, that we want to run a mile, that we want to just shut down emotionally. The walls go up, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, yeah, fine, yeah, that's good, all right, yeah, great, and on we go. And all of a sudden you're not investing in relationships. You're not allowing people to invest in relationships. Or maybe there's areas of self-centeredness. Perhaps that's why you're here at church today. Because it works for you. Because you don't have to give too much of yourself. Because all of these other things. But fundamentally, you're at the center of it. 
And actually, God wants to lift our eyes to actually what it means to be part of his flock, to be loving and self-sacrificing in the same way that the good shepherd does for us. The model that he has set for us, the example that he has set for us. And then I'll finish with this. In um, the warning in, in John 10, um, he says, who does not own the sheep? Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And so as the hired hand is left and the sheep are now vulnerable, a wolf comes and just snatches them, and they've got them. That's it, they're gone. This same word for snatching, actually Jesus uses it again. And he uses it again in verse 28. And I'm going to read from 27, um, because Jesus is still talking about sheep. And in verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. You see, when we, when we come under the good shepherd, when we, when we live as part of his flock, when we listen to him, when we heed his voice, when we know him and he knows us, when we come honestly before him and pour out our hearts and when we listen to his voice and we obey what he's doing, what he's saying to us, the direction he's leading us, no one will snatch us out of his hand. What a promise that no one will snatch us out of his hand.